Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Want to Game. I'm your host, Alexander Eden. Joining me, as always, is the illustrious Jonathan Wilder. Oh, please. Illustrious. <laughs> You're I'm gonna, too kind. I'm going to keep coming up with weird compliments until I just run out. Anyway, it's time for us to do my favorite, favorite Want to Game pastime, and that's talk about news we're really late to. We went too long on it's already passed. But uh, let's just dive into it, all right? This is gonna be a spicy episode. This is gonna get us canceled. This is gonna get us How have we already gotten canceled? We're gonna get canceled, we're gonna get banned, we're gonna get fired, it's gonna be nuts. We're talking politics, all right? We're talking politics in games, and specifically we're gonna be talking about a very interesting uh, situation that came up recently. I'm sure for everyone who, who knows a little bit about gaming media and the gaming scene right now, who has been living under a rock, you know about the current hot water that Blizzard creators of World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Diablo have found themselves in. Do you know a little bit about this, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I'm pretty familiar with it. Uh, Reddit has been a buzz, mm-hmm. um, so that's how I initially found out about this whole fiasco and you know i kind of followed it into some of the controversy that transitioned to league of legends scene, but we can we'll get into that later we'll get yeah. into that yeah, so the very basics for those who are unaware we gotta go all the way to china and hong kong for this one we're not going to get far into politics but the basic situation there is china wants to put in a few laws not like. There's been a lot of protests, a lot of demands that have been going on for months and months and months. China does not want people supporting the protesters and they don't like people talking about it. Anyway, we go to Hearthstone, a card game, digital card game, based off of World of Warcraft and that whole, you know, just the Warcraft brand, uh, of course, made by Blizzard. Uh, they recently had a bunch of uh, some tournaments. Uh, I think Grandmasters is what they were having, and this one player from Hong Kong, Blitz Chung, uh, came up on to an interview uh, after you know winning a big amount of prize money, and more or less said, uh, I believe the phrase was "Free Hong Kong Revolution of Our Time" or something along those lines. Long story short, he you know he was dressed up in protester attire. He was clearly showing. Uh, you know, support for the protests. And immediately, immediately, Blizzard retaliated. They banned him for a year. They took away all of his money. They fired the two interviewers who were just kind of there at the time. There's been some arguments. Oh, no, they were in on it. They knew he was going to say it. Long story short, they fired him, you know, banned him, the guys, and more or less said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to get political. And people called BS. People were furious. And they, they said, you know, the punishment does not fit the crime. The rulings that you have are too vague. And it basically gives you free reign to just do whatever you want. Other people are able to talk about po- politics in more positive lights. A uh, big example is, you know, LGBT-related things. Blizzard itself is very, like, supporting of stuff that we consider totally fine, but other countries 
not so much. So, you know, they're drawing political lines in very weird ways. And when you are banning someone who's basically fighting for uh, pro-democracy, pro-independence you know, independence from a very large power like China, people get angry. And especially when they can then accuse you of only doing it to get into the Chinese market, make a bunch of money, and, and screw anyone who gets in your way. Yeah, well, that is really the fascinating mm-hmm. part of all this discourse for me. Um, it really comes down to the kind of essential question of do these companies have some sort of obligation to protecting mm-hmm. this free speech? Do these companies have to draw a line in the sand? Do they have to represent stuff? And um, here's my take. All right, dive right uh, in. <laughs> we're going to get spicy. That's spicy. I want, yeah, I want my tongue um, to burn here. Yeah, so I think it's good that people are upset with Blizzard, but no one should really be surprised because Blizzard is not the only big gaming company. They're not even the only media company that wants the very lucrative Chinese market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, Blizzard is a company that wants to make money and... Yes, there is some, you know, artistry and craft behind the games, but that comes more from, you know, the developers, and mm-hmm. it comes from, you know, the players who are playing these tournaments, yeah. um, and not necessarily, you know, the money-making side of things. Definitely. Uh, so I think that's where, like, this whole kind of split comes, is that, you know, yes, it would be nice for, like, a company like Blizzard... Or even, you know, Riot Games. We'll, we'll get into them, get don't to, worry. Um, to kind of stand up to China. They don't really have a strong incentive to do so. I, and of it's course. a lot easier for them to either, you know, sit on the fence. Mm-hmm. Or just straight up, you know, uh, block people who have controversial views. Yes. Um, but this is not a new thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh Far, you know, before like esports even existed, you know, many like athletes have made political statements, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, Blitzstrong and any other kind of esports player are also, you know, public figures to a certain extent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and public figures have, you know a right to make, you know, claims of theirs, make For sure. statements. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, like, shocked at the response of Blizzard. And I do kind of understand it from a certain perspective. But also, like, yeah, maybe this does kind of signal, like, uh-oh, there might be a problem here in the way uh, the industry is trending. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point you brought up just about, like, the kind of divide between, like, the money makers and, like, the developers, the creative types, I think is a very interesting one to explore because even looking at how Blizzard itself is handling it, the people on the ground level aren't all in agreement with Blizzard as the company. There, there were protests. There was, a, I believe it was a walkout, and uh, someone covered up one of the statues with, like, a piece of paper over, like, the one line that was, like, you know, 
obviously I'm misquoting here, but it's like, you know, we believe in like free speech and expression and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, clearly you don't. If yeah. you're gonna... Well, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. These companies don't believe in anything. They don't. And you're being naive if you trick yourself into buying into yeah. that sort of... See, and that's the tricky thing, though. That's the tricky thing about it is these are big companies and, you know, you can make the argument. It's like, hey, we shouldn't expect much out of them because the only reason they exist is for money. It's literally like their goal in the system of capitalism, you know. The ultimate goal of the corporation is to make money, provide services, do what they gotta do, you know? But here's the thing. And you you can even argue like, oh, you know, it's their right to do what they want, say what they want, in the good old US of A, you know, that's the freedoms we give them. But the thing is, it gets a little bit tricky when that freedom is in in a weird way supporting the exact opposite system which is you know communist china you know a lot more control over the markets a lot more control over whatever not saying you know what one is better or whatever but things get messy where it's like wait 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 so they're allowed to do what they want say what they want until people from other you know parts of the world who are saying no you're not allowed to say that come into play and they have the money to back it up and now we on the ground level aren't allowed to say those things you know it's just very interesting it's very messy uh tell me a little bit more about the uh the league situation yeah so let's kind of dive into that so right now is the time of year when the league of legends world championship is going on and one of the representatives playing was a team HKA, which stands for Hong Kong Attitude. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of controversy of people seem to like pick up on one of the commentators like saying Hong Kong Attitude and kind of correcting themselves, saying HKA. And, you know, it kind of became this whole firestorm. And, you know, with Riot Games, they have an even more kind of complicated situation because they are owned by Tencent, a Chinese company um so even more so than you know a company like Blizzard they're very much in the thick of mm-hmm. this sort right of uh, conflict pocket. of interest mm-hmm. um but you know and there's a kind of like PR response to it and like they're saying that like wasn't like an issue but like also like Riot kind of took a, a less harsh stance in Blizzard but it really kind of boiled down to what I was saying earlier of like, you know, either they shut it down or they sit on the fence. And mm-hmm. Ryan was more like, we're just going to avoid politics altogether. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just don't like, I'm fine like with that company having that stance, like whatever. Mm-hmm. It's understandable. But I also believe and hope that the, you know, the public figures of their games will not just allow themselves to be shut down. Yeah, or... And that, that's a good thing to fight for. And honestly, t- to get a little more hopeful here, the the community response has been great. There's been so much support uh, to the point where Blizzard did pull back on some of its punishments. Uh, Blitzchung is, is no longer banned for a year. It's only six months, which still, you know, 
might be a little too much, but it's lesser. Uh, he got his prize money back, the money he rightfully earned by playing the game and winning through tournaments and things like that. Right. That's very good. Uh, there's been other teams, you know, showing their support, obviously. There was that, uh, a college team that, like, was holding up posters being, like, Free Hong Kong, Banned Lizard, or whatever, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and it was so funny because it was like, okay, we're not going to punish you. And then, like, a week later, okay, we're punishing you now. Now you're banned. It just really seems like there's a lot of fire and fury, and I'm mm-hmm. always for that. You know, people if people want to speak their minds, speak their minds. It's it's great. Uh, there's been even other companies. Uh, I, I feel so bad for blanking on the name, but you know, no free promotion for whoever you were. Uh, there are some companies that are like, you know, in our card game, we would never ban someone for saying those things. Come on over. We'll give you the prize yeah. money back. Well, another mm-hmm. kind of interesting development mm-hmm. is that for their 10th anniversary, Riot Games announced that they're actually making games. Yes, like, you know, yes, other they than are. Legends. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a card game, you know, in a very similar vein to Hearthstone. Uh, Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and obviously, like, they've been developing this game for a while, mm-hmm. but, like, the timing of it is really great for them because yeah. uh, Blizzard is getting all of this terrible press yeah. and, uh, they're getting some good ones so before we move on we obviously aren't able to make like a final claim about like what is a company's responsibility to like politics at large to the whole universe of of, of, you know political discourse what is the responsibility of the individual in the gaming community it's a lot that's a big ask it's a tricky ask but i think Mm -hmm. we can both agree you know even if a company is going to try to be apolitical or, like, stay neutral, at the very least, they won't punish people for expressing their opinions in such a way, you know. They won't, you know, specifically, you know, halt people from being able to say, you know, what they believe and what they support, you know. And it is tricky. There are going to be variables. There should be, you know, some restrictions. uh, But it's, like, it's case by case. And clearly, with the Blizzard situation, it was over the line. And hopefully, we can learn from that. Hopefully, we can do better. With at the very least, if we can't like be super political, we can at least be cooler about it. Uh, but let's discuss a larger topic: politics themselves, and specifically politics in games. I think in 2019, uh, in the current year. Uh, there's a lot of discourse, there's a lot of debate online about this kind of concept of either there's too much politics in my in my piece of media or everything is political, therefore everything should be hyper political and hyper like clearly drawing their lines and stuff. Uh, and I think part of it is people like to get angry about things. They like to get their opinions expressed and they want to see those opinions show up in different things. They like to find uh, battlegrounds to defend or fight against and things like that. But at the same time, I think it is very important to discuss, especially because gaming is so huge right now, especially since it's like, in my personal opinion, it's equal to films, it's equal to books, it's a piece of art, it's a piece of media. What is the role, what role do politics or political themes more specific, what do they have in games? Do they have a place? And if so, like, what is the proper way to uh, have them in there? And if not, 
why not? And how can a game be like truly apolitical? And it's tricky. It's tricky. What do you think on this? I think what you mentioned about you know the stance of like everything is political and all games are political is really mm-hmm. interesting to me because I think that's also you know a lens that some people apply to like film and as you said mm-hmm. I, I would agree that you know games at their like peak are definitely kind of artistically equal to you know films or television or whatever and so in that sense yeah i do agree that like games can be deeply artistic and political yeah um but i also don't fully agree that every single game is political Um, what's the politics of pac-man is it about our consumer culture is it (laughs) yeah well and that's the thing alex is that you can't like if you try hard enough you can make some sort of political analogy out of any game mm-hmm. and in some cases that's helpful for you know other sort of discoveries making those sort of like analogies and kind of extrapolating from like gameplay but i think that there's a far or smaller section of games that are actually intentionally political mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether you know in your face or subtle yeah. about it and I appreciate that. I appreciate that there's a space for that. Um, because I think, as we've kind of highlighted through a lot of our episodes, one of the beautiful things about gaming is that there is room for so much. You know, you have like enough games that we were able to dedicate mm-hmm. a whole episode on comedy in games. Yeah. And there are enough here that we can talk about political mm-hmm. games. Um but I do kind of think that's important to, you know, mention that just because, like, a game kind of has a political stance doesn't mean that it necessarily has to, you know, have your particular stance. Yes. And I, I think, you know, obviously, like, I'm personally someone who has, like, a very strong political takes. Mm-hmm. Um so, like, I find, I find it difficult to, you know, consume media, whether it's games yes. or whatever, that that is, you know, different than mine. But I also feel like that's something that should uh, be, you know, more kind of, uh, I guess, and people should be more open to. Definitely, uh, definitely. And I think games, especially, have an ability to open up those avenues to kind of explore, you know, ideas and concepts that you haven't really you know addressed before put simply like in my in my perfect world where it's like there will be no blowback there will be no like this will always work out there's no gray areas and there always are my perfect world yes games should and you know have complete freedom to explore whatever like political ideas they want to and get as deep or as shallow as they want to do. You know, you create the piece of media you want. But at the same time, we don't necessarily need to have the expectation of like, oh no, every single, you know, new piece of media that comes out has to make this very hardcore statement and really fight for these ideals. Because sometimes, you know, games, they're games. They're meant to be fun. They're meant to just be casual or neat. At the same time, the political, if a game is going to go into larger political themes, I hope that they handle them well. 
there, there's there's a there's a very vocal you know subset of gamers who are like oh I'm tired of you know people shoving their politics in their games and even though I do think a lot of those are kind of bad faith claims right I do think there are examples out there of games that try to tackle political themes and they they don't do it very well for an example uh, there's a there was a game uh, I I really do like this series but Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided it is a you know cyberpunky, you know, uh, a game about, you know, transhumanism and, you know, technology advancements and things like that. Mankind Divided is basically a game where it's like, okay, in this part of the, in the, of the timeline, the humans who have robot parts, they're discriminated against, they're feared, and it's a very clear, like, racial discrimination, uh, you know, uh, Jim Crow law type like you know the people with the robot parts they they live in this part of the town and they have to you know have their passes and they have they can't be on this side of the bus and things like that and it just comes off as like what are you what are you actually trying to say here it comes off as more awkward than anything because it's a very weird thing of like wait wait the people who can afford the robot parts are being discriminated against and what about the other elements of like obviously having a robot arm is not the same as being black or being, you know, a minority race. And to me, it just came off as, like, childish and, like, not a well-thought-of take. And I think there are other games and other pieces of media that are kind of like that. So I'm all for politics, and I really do think you can handle them well. There's a few examples here where we're going to talk about the ones I do. But at the same time, you got to be careful. you got to really think about politics what you're trying complex. to say. They're complex. They really are. Uh, but with that, let's actually dive in. Let's really explore a few games that we actually think use political themes either well or not so well, but in very unique ways and ways we think are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's look at an example that's very on the nose, very yes. blatant. A little game called Democracy. Right. Uh, so I've played a decent amount of Democracy. And, you know, as a bit of a political fiend one might say mm -hmm. uh it definitely appealed to me um in terms of so basically democracy is all about just like kind of you know you're the head of the government you're introducing all these different policies you're trying to like manage all these different situations that are arising and you're trying to like appease all these different like factions and you're trying to make sure that you're ministers are loyal to you and it's a lot of you know juggling and it's kind of you know at its core a strategy game of sorts mm -hmm. um and you know a kind of management game um but what i appreciate about it is that it does a nice job of like kind of taking like abstractions of politics and not like taking itself like so seriously where like i've never like sat down play democracy and felt like yeah this is like them going out of their way to like make a deeply intricate and like completely accurate representation of of democracy um but at the same time you do get to engage with these sort of you know political conundrums that come up a lot like you know, how are you dealing with, like, taxes? And, like, what do you... Like, what kind of programs do you want to, you know, focus on funding? And how were, you know, how is the populace mm -hmm. reacting to all this? So it is kind of an interesting way of 
approaching politics in a kind of broad sense that I think is pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And I think that <laughs> this is a very interesting uh, game to start out with because when you when we're discussing like politics and games, your thoughts are probably initially, oh, the themes or the narrative or things like that. I think it's very interesting to consider just politics as game mechanics. Like, hey, we live in a world with a lot of complex systems. They can be kind of fun from that kind of bird's eye view and be like, all right. It's gamifying it. Yeah, it's gamifying it. And that can be a lot of fun. Uh, An example of that, uh, on the more board game space, diplomacy. Uh, I myself have not played too much of it. Yeah, I haven't played any diplomacy. Mm-hmm. It's definitely on that list of games that like I know that I would love, but just haven't had a chance to really invest in because yeah. you know it's uh, an investment for yeah. sure. Uh, basically, it is a it is a at its core, it's a war game. It's about you and your friends are playing as different nations. I believe it's usually like a, during like a World War Two yeah, kind scenario. of European powers, European powers thing, and. You more or less just take turns moving units. Just like, okay, I'm putting my soldiers here. I'm doing this and this. Uh, and then just making deals with people. Mm-hmm. Just talking with them and being like, okay. Yeah. You know, in secret, usually, you don't want everyone to know. Like, hey, you know, I'm going to go attack France. And I really hope you back me up here. And, like, this is whatever. And then you can either, like, support the deals you th- you made with these people. Or immediately betray them. Or, like, secretly tell the deals to other people. And it's literally, it's a very basic, you know, like a negotiation slash war game. But it gets super heated. And people get super into it. And even at that very abstracted form, it plays up. A really big idea in, in politics, which is diplomacy, which is about you know negotiating and tr- trading. It's it's like one of the most simplest elements of any system of government. You yeah. know, working with people. And, and what interests me about it is, from from my understanding, it's not a war game in the sense of like risk, where you know you're rolling a bunch of dice and you're really like mm-hmm. managing your units. It is much more about what you're saying, the diplomacy aspect of it, the negotiation, yeah. the kind of social part of of the sort of like mm-hmm. things. And there isn't, you know, much randomness to it at all, which yeah. I, I kind of appreciate because, you know, uh, obviously diplomacy in real life is not decided by a bunch of die rolls. Yeah. Uh, now, one more example of, of not a game that so much has politics as a mechanic but a game so expansive and with such an uh, uh, involved community they brought the politics into the game as a mechanic a little something called eve online yeah eve online is fascinating mm-hmm. to me because as you said it's almost like a lot of this comes from this player built aspect of it mm-hmm. and uh, you know i read up on this one fascinating story about what they called the the biggest heist in EVE Online history. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a great article about all this I highly suggest reading. But the kind of short form of it is that they have these summits where, you know, the kind of diplomats for all these different big alliances. And we're talking like thousands of people like are part of these alliances in this game. Um will like come and negotiate and at one of these summits the second command of this huge established alliance was basically turned into a traitor oh boy and he was convinced to basically 
completely, you know, rob his, uh, his former alliance. And, you know, there are all these other factions that are trying to, like, gain control. And it's just so interesting how, like, you can take him that, like, clearly, like, has some basis in, like, politics. Like, you know, from my kind of research into, like, the story of, Eve, like, it is very much based on, like, oh, you have all these different, like, nations and stuff like that. And all the kind of people that make it up. Um, so, like, there's definitely stuff there. It's not like the players are completely, like, creating on their own. But it mm-hmm. is fascinating to think that, like, just a player base can yeah. create a political system, almost. Absolutely. And I think part of it, uh, in which, you know, is... It's the money. It's the money. Like, EVE Online, if you want to get really good at it, if you want to, like, truly become invested, you buy your ships, you invest that currency, and if that, if once the money is involved with a game as complex as that, you're going to start coming up with some systems. You're going to create a yeah. new society because it's like, hey, it's not just, like, digital points in time on the line. This is, like, a genuine financial investment I put into this thing. And that's when, Mm -hmm. you know, the intersection of politics and morality comes into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there are many better examples of that sort of intersection than this war of mine, uh, which I think we're both (laughs) really big fans of. I love that game so much. And, you know, uh, when we're just a mere radio show, we talked about this game in terms of just kind of morality. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's so much to mine in terms of that. But I also think, you know, it is interesting in terms of, like, whereas, like, a game like Diplomacy or Democracy are very kind of abstracted forms of what goes on with politics, this War of Mine is really just delving into what does it feel like to be just a normal journalism, just plain citizen mm-hmm. during wartime. Yes, yes. I've talked about this game a million times. I will talk about it a million more times. It's one of the first games that, like, truly, like, moved me. Obviously, games have moved me before, but, like, it moved me in a way that felt, like, a lot more real than other games. You know, obviously, anyone can say war is bad, but in, like, this very upsetting simulation of being this average Joe in a war zone, it really just goes to show you that it's like, hey, while these big nations are, you know, working on that abstract level of, like, fighting for territory and resources and military advantages and, and politics and things like that, normal people actually have to suffer the effects of those things. It's a game that made me, you know, donate to, like, War Child as a charity. And just, you know, to me, it's one of the best examples of you can take politics, you can take extremely political themes and have it a very, like, specific side that you are on. Like, it's not hard side to be a part of, like, war is bad, but have a very specific, like, moral and political standpoint and still make a genuinely good game. Like, this is a game that if, if you stripped the politics out of it, if it was really, like, I don't know, like an apocalypse war zone, or, like, it was just, like, keep the keep the little pixel men alive or something, it would still be a genuinely good game, mechanically. But it is the politics, and it is the atmosphere, and the world around it that makes it so memorable. 
Very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a lighter example, a more comedic example. And a few of these examples we're going to talk about use comedy and politics in a lot of good ways. The Tropico series is one that I've played only a little bit of, but it's one I really appreciate. Basically, it is a, it is a city and country management game, really, where you are playing as El Presidente. Uh, you are like the, the dictator of a small fictional country, usually during a Cold War era, uh, and the goal is, you know, run your nation, you know, make it good, see how far you can get. Yeah. But you are put in the position of you're the president, but you're a dictator, or you were very likely to become a dictator. And the way it handles that kind of theme with this kind of tongue-in-cheek nature, even though it's like, oh, it's funny, it's goofy, you're not meant to take it too seriously, it, it touches on some pretty interesting political ideas. It, it shows you why you might become a dictator, why it's so easy to fall in that mindset, because yeah, you could be caring more about the people and giving them more rights and trying to balance out, you know, these various factions. But wouldn't it be so much easier to just gun them down? Wouldn't it be so much easier to get, like, real sneaky and, like, get rid of your political enemies and, like, give more powers to yourself so you have more control over the industries and just directly tell people, oh, you're fired here and you're gonna go here? It's, like, it's funny, but it's also kind of spooky, and it plays up, you know, hey, this is why dictatorships get as far as they do, and this is why they also fail, and it's just very interesting. Yeah, and, you know, from, like, the examples of what we talked about, mm-hmm. I think what's kind of fascinating to me when comparing all of these is that these are all, you know, political games in their own way, but they all address politics in such... Completely different completely ways. Completely different ways. Yes. Um, some, sure. you know, very kind of broad and abstract, and some hyper specific. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think one example, and you know, I um, have not played this game, although I've played games in the series. But I, I do kind of want to get your take on Far Cry Five yes. and how it kind of pulls in politics, and from my understanding, especially like politics of the modern day yes yes brief recap i'm i'm a fan of the far cry games Uh, of the newer ones i haven't played much of one or two i admit but far cry 3 4 and 5 i've had good fun with and a big criticism the series has always gotten especially around three to five is its handling of politics in three you're playing as like a white dude bro guy going to a small island nation gunning down pirates and acting like i'm such a badass hero when you're with insanity yes and even though i do think people give the game a bad rap i think they are generally a lot more clever with the narrative than most people give it credit for the controversy was still there Far Cry 4 has a little bit of that as well, where, yes, you have, like, a more personal, like, connection to this kind of, like, Nepal-esque culture, uh, and it's going into different political, like, groups that are fighting for control of this nation. You know, some people also argue, okay, it's not nuanced enough. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Then Far Cry 5 came out, and it, uh, uh, marketing-wise was heavy political stuff. Specifically, it's set in America, it's set in the Midwest, it has a religious 
Christian cult-esque leader talking about the downfall of the nation. It's, you know, a lot of it is like these kind of like, you know, gun-toting, cheering American dudes firing their guns in the air, you know, talking about their states' rights or whatever. And you would think, oh, that's so political. Ubisoft didn't think so. Ubisoft, they said, oh, no, 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 we have political ideas, but this isn't a political game. It's apolitical, really. It's really, you know, everyone can get into it. We're not saying anything. And you know what? It doesn't say anything. I've played a good chunk of this game, and it infuriates me. It really does. Because the bad guys you're fighting, they always... This cult is like, you don't know us. This this nation's falling apart. And what if you're the bad guy, huh? Have you thought about that? But because they're so afraid of making a political statement, both for or against something... They never specify what exactly, like, the cult is actually for. It's very vague things, and it just feels limp. It yeah. really does. If you're going to make a stance, you mm-hmm. can't sit on yes. the fence. You and have to go all in, even if it's controversial. Exactly. Like, if, if the game genuinely, like, made some solid arguments for, like, extreme fundamentalist religions or, like, more, you know, right-leaning, you know, gun rights, things like that, even if I may disagree with them, I would be interested to see those points, especially if you see the pros and the cons and things like that. That would be so interesting to me. But the fact that they didn't really annoyed me. Uh, And Ubisoft has had a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, The Division series is literally about being American, like, sleeper agent government people going out, gunning down people during a crisis to, like, bring back the good old U.S. of A. And then they say, oh, no, it's not political. Don't worry about it. No political themes. It's literally taking place in Washington, but there's no political themes. Don't worry about it. And it's like, come on, guys. Come on, guys. There are themes be proud of them or at least say hey we may not fully agree but we're exploring these and we're not afraid of that Mm -hmm. i think a Mm -hmm. a fun game now to Mm -hmm. kind of wrap up this discussion is one that you recently started playing yes the outer world the outer world game i'm very excited to try out very soon Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. made by obsidian uh entertainment creators of uh, fallout new vegas south park the stick of truth knights of the old republic 2 and just a lot of other cool rpgs the outer worlds is is a funny high concept thing it is it is about space travel it's about fighting you know weird alien creatures it's about using cool pew pew space guns and making goofy jokes it is but it is a game with some very interesting politics some very interesting and dare i say topical things that it's exploring it's exploring basically Endgame hypercapitalism. Mm-hmm. It, it's an alternate history, but it's basically exploring a premise. You are a a space colonist who's been frozen for around, I think, 70 years or something. You've been thawed out and thrown onto this planet that's been completely colonized by corporations. Right. Big, over-the-top companies that have no regulation. They have complete control over everything, more or less. And it's played for laughs, but it's also very spooky, where literally you're getting, you know, charged for dying in a town, and you have to pay a tax on it to the corporation. Uh, If you don't 
turn in, you know, your reprimand stamp to get reprimanded. They'll reprimand you or whatever. And it's just, it's very goofy, but it's playing up this idea of the dangers of extreme capitalism, you know, run amok. And it play, not only does it do that, it says, you know, well, hey, here are these alternatives, but here's also the problems with some of those alternatives. Uh, and, and, and dealing, basically, it seems so far to be dealing with this idea of how do you deal with kind of a corrupt system when you know trying to fight that system will also cause chaos and, and, and you know, it's troubles for yourself. And one, this game is still in development, still in, you know, its marketing phase. One of the developers said, this is a game that explores political themes, but we don't want to make, like, a hard political statement. Where at first, you know, it, it felt a bit like a Ubisoft thing. Like, oh, you know, don't, be, are you really being scared of this right now? Don't do that. But I feel like what they were really trying to say here, and it's something I kind of generally agree with, is this is a game that explores these very interesting political themes in a very hyper-out-there way. Uh-huh. But because it's a role-playing game, they're not saying, okay, you have to fight these guys because these are the bad guys and they must be stopped. They're saying, hey, this is what's going on here. This is what one side thinks. This is what another side thinks. What do you think? And it gently asks the player, like, hey, how do you handle this? Do you think this, like, extreme capitalism is just okey-do? Just peachy keen, it's wonderful, you're going to support it fully. Are you going to go with, like, the extreme, you know, radical anarchists or the communists and fight back even though people may die and, like, towns may fall apart and entire systems may, you know, be destroyed? Or do you try to find that middle ground? But what if the middle ground doesn't look good either? What if that just feels like you're prolonging the inevitable? It's a game that is fun. It's goofy. It's it's just, a, it's funny. But it plays up these themes in very interesting ways. And it makes me want to play more. It makes me want to get into this world, not just as its own separate fantasy, but as something that makes me think about, you know, what's going on today. And, you know, any good sci-fi makes you wonder, like, what happens if this is the path we're going down? What do we do? Do we stop it? Do we accept it? What's going on here? Right. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really nice aspect of having some politics in games mm -hmm. is that you can kind of engage with current events in a way that you can't just from, you know, purely talking them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's chill out. Start to wrap this episode up if you have one more thing to discuss. As far away from politics as possible, Spitfire and Straight Lace. I don't know, Alex. I, I, I have a hot take. Hot take? Spitfire and Straight Lace is the most political thing we've ever done. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Because Go on. the people, they don't want you to talk about ghosts. That's true. But we, we talked about ghosts. We're, we, listen, listen, listen. Listen, I know it's controversial. This might get us banned in a few places. We're, we're pro-ghosts. We're pro-ghosts in this town, right? Right? Pro-ghosts? I mean, I I wouldn't go as far as saying pro-ghosts. Oh. I mean, like... Oh, so you're anti-ghost, huh? <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to sit on the fence, Alex, but uh, I think certain ghosts are fine and certain ghosts are bad. All right, all right, all right, John. You cancel. Get off the show. Okay. But Spitfire and Straight Lace, we played a very loose game of 
this. For those who were around back during the old college days, we did a game of this. Uh, it is a little like a two-player back-and-forth role-playing game, you know? And we were playing out this kind of goofy, spooky mystery uh, through our characters. And I gotta say, I had a lot of fun. I, don't... I, I did too, yeah. It's hard to describe this game because a lot of it is like, oh, remember when we did that funny thing with the crystals? Or, oh, remember when we explored the house? Oh, that was funny. But what made it so good was something like Fiasco. It's a three to four to five player game. It's one that encourages setting up like a lot of key elements of like, this is your relationship and you're all connected in this big circle and you have to play off of each other. Spitfire and Straight Lace is such an extreme version of that, where it's like they, they strip away a lot of those kind of like key connective elements. You just have like a maybe three or four, uh, and then it's just you as Spitfire or you as Straight Lace talking with another person. Yeah, and, and trying to change their perspective, too. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, a little political, there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think what I really liked about this particular iteration of Spitfire and Straight Lace was that we had the dueling perspectives, you know, obviously Spitfire is the kind of maverick huh, who doesn't do things by the book, and the straight lace is very much the opposite of that and really wants to follow regulations and do things the right way and not cause mm-hmm. disturbances. But we also had the differences in opinion of straight lace, you know, mm-hmm. he believes in crystals, he believes in guns. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Spitfire thinks it's all a bunch of hooey. A bunch yeah. of hooey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also liked, you know, that we were able to take them out of the city, you know? Yeah. Bring them to the countryside and explore that side of these For sure. Detectives. It's definitely an interesting game because you have to rely on your partner a lot. You're switching off. Each one is setting their own scene. And you really have to think of like, okay, we're forming a mystery together. We're really, we're making it up as we go along. And we have to collect these clues while we do it. So, you know, you set up what you think is funny and what you think is entertaining, and then the other player has to take the scene and go, well, I'm going to add this, I'm going to add this. And right. then you have to work together to solve the case. We somewhat, you know, skipped over the trial section, which is generally supposed to happen, partly due to time, partly due to narrative. I feel like after the crazy chase through the woods in the cabin, it's just yeah, like... that was the best way to end. That was the best way to end it. But it's a game that, I don't know, you, you want to play a team-building exercise, you and a buddy, you got to work on a project together, Spitfire and Straight Lace might be the game to, like, loosen you up and get you real into it. Yeah. I don't know. I highly recommend. Yeah. And with that, I'd like to wrap up the show. Final words. If we have said anything to offend, to, to, to your palate disagrees with, Oh, I think we both like to say, you know, we're not here to to push you away, to say if you don't agree with us, you know, you're wrong. That's not what we're about. Wants Game is an inclusive show. We want to invite a lot of different people in here, not Absolutely. just from, you know, different gaming backgrounds, but from different, you know, literal backgrounds with different opinions and different perspectives on the world. But to do that, it's these ideas have to be discussed. They have to be explored. They have to be something that, you know, they're risky and can be tricky to handle, but are worth handling, are worth dipping your toes in. Yeah, we can't avoid these discussions. Politics, 
you know, whether you're political or actively engaged, are going to be a part of all of our lives. And yeah. so why can't they be part of our games? And with that, I'd like to wish you all a good night and a good game. <laughs>